Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 110, How Jordan Rosenfeld Writes. Welcome, my friends, to a wonderful episode with Jordan Rosenfeld. Jordan is a writer, teacher, and coach, as well as the author of many craft writing books. I've recently gone on a deep dive with novelists who also are writing craft, and I'm doing this because I'm just so interested in the people who are writing craft, practicing craft, thinking about craft. It's kind of part of the ethos of this podcast, but also, you know, trying to get to the people who are doing it all, just putting it all together. And I will tell you right now that this episode does not disappoint. Jordan and I, we get into the crux of character. We get into her writing process and just go into the guts of it. I want to say thank you to Jordan for her time and for this interview. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the episode with Jordan Rosenfeld. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's special guest is Jordan Rosenfeld. Jordan is the author of the novels Women in Red, Night Oracle, and Forged in Grace. She is also the author of a handful of writing guides, How to Write a Page Turner, Writing the Intimate Character, Writing Deep Scenes, A Writer's Guide to Persistence, Make a Scene, and Write Free, Attracting the Creative Life with Rebecca Lawton. Jordan's freelance writing has appeared in The Atlantic, The New York Times, Ozzy, Publishers Weekly, Salon, The San Francisco Chronicle, Scientific American, The Washington Post, Writer's Digest Magazine, and many other places. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped. I, I'm doing a um, string right now of interviewing authors who are also educators, craft educators. And it's been really fun and to, to dive into people who can do both, right? And we were talking a little bit before we started recording. It's hard to do both, both write and communicate how to write. Mm-hmm. Um and so I want to go back in time to start this whole this whole interview off, go back into your origin. Like, wh- when did your storytelling journey kick off? Oh, gosh. As soon as I learned how to write and read, honestly, I remember, I remember being in kindergarten and, like, the reading coalescing. I suddenly mm-hmm. could read a sentence and, like, I felt like the world just exploded into light. I don't, I don't know. It was like me and words were meant to be together. <laughs> <laughs> So I read as a child, you know, voraciously, as they say. And, and for me, I think it was also a little bit of a form of escapism from some of the stuff happening in my childhood. So it was like, I could go hole up in my room with a book. I could bring a book wherever we went and just fall into it. So for me, I think that my writing, my, my desire to create emerged directly out of my love of reading. And it's as like, it's one of the very first things I knew about myself was that I wanted to write and I loved to read. So Mm. was there a book that, that kicked off your writing journey? Like, was there a book that you read and you said, I want to try and do this myself? 
there, there was not a specific book, though I was very much drawn as a child to sort of fantasy style things like that. You know, um, there was a, an author named Zilpha Keatley Snyder when I was a kid, and she was probably one of, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of children's middle grade literature like there is today. Like it's just teeming with it. So you had like a few, a handful. And I remember, I, of course, I'm blanking on any of the titles of her books now, but she was one of those um, writers who I thought, I think that probably she was the closest to an inspiration for writing. But I just, as soon as I absorbed story, I wanted to cr- create it myself. I, I can't even pinpoint when. Mm-hmm. It was just like always. <laughs> that Yeah. One, one of the things we've been diving into in the podcast is like the underbelly of creation and of storytelling and trying to talk around because it can't get to it. I can't get even close to an answer, right? <laughs> but trying yeah. to talk around what is it that's so captivating about telling a story, both for the storyteller and for the listener, right? I have two daughters. They're um, 10 and um, seven and a half. I can't believe one's 10. Like that is crazy to say out loud. But um, you know, when I, when I, I, I've been re- I read to them every night and, and reading them a story, they are like glued in. And I'm like, what is, what, what is happening here? What magic are we touching? And I'm curious yeah. as somebody who touched that as a young child, like what your thoughts are on that. Okay. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. So, so my experience might be shaped. I'm just going to say like kind of caveat, it might be shaped a little negatively, but I don't think the negative piece really matters. So, um, you know, childhood for me, for anyone is so much about like sort of lack of control. Your, your parents Mm -hmm. dictate everything, you know, for the most part, you are at the mercy of these adults. And there's something about storytelling. That's like, especially when you learn to tell them yourself, that's like, you get to control or you take control of something. So there's that element. So for me, storytelling was straight up an escape from hard things. I wanted to go away from realities that were difficult and enter realities that felt um, full of possibility. So there's that. I, I, I do believe it is like a deeply human impulse to connect also. I think it's how we connected with each other when we were like, you know, in indigenous little groups, uh, like in the origins of humanity. I think this is how we like let children, you know, we, we passed along the dangers and the exploration of the world. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there's a lot caught up in that, like, but also, gosh, I, I want to like, <laughs> the words are there. It's like the, I can yeah. feel the feeling, but yeah. not the words to them. It's almost ineffable, but I think that there's, I, I almost think it's the urge to create, which comes with being human. That storytelling is like the very most basic way that we, we all can create but that doesn't necessarily explain why we like to listen to stories. <laughs> so I don't know. It's yeah, mysterious, isn't it? It it is. It, it is, and it's hard, at least for me, to um, it's hard to dance around the topic without very quickly diving into the metaphysical. At least for me, it very quickly turns into magic. Yeah, and, and the impact it has on me and on you know, reading story and seeing stories impact in the world very quickly goes from being practical to impractical, you know, in, in a world, in a world that, you know, we are bombarded by so much crazy stimulation yes. that story, just old fashioned story is still one of the most 
powerful, captivating forces we know of for the human mind and, and, and excitement and um, imagination to me defies uh, like biology. Like it, it very quickly gets magical. And so this is why I think it gets really hard because without the magical thesis of like what makes it magic, where does magic or this magic? And I, I don't see magic as in like, whatever Matt like I just mean magic broadly that's a catch-all word for everything you know well and I was thinking the same word in my head I was thinking that there's a magic so that makes sense to me um I don't know if I interrupted you there but no no I was probably uh, just rambling anyways (laughs) I think that I had this like really cohesive thought a second ago and then it left me right you know I'm just trying to remember my own experience of reading from a really young age and like you're saying um I think there's a kind of mastery we can find within stories. So like life is challenging. It presents us with all these different problems that we can't necessarily master in our own lives. We can't Mm. surmount until we've learned or we've had, you know, loss and hardship. And then we learn things and we grow and we change. And I think that in story, there's this kind of sense of full circleness. We start somewhere, we go somewhere, maybe there's trials, tribulations, obstacles in the way. And then we end in a place of resolution. So there's a kind of um, satisfaction or relief almost that I experience in story where I get to the end of something and it feels like this complete journey I took, you know, and the characters grew and learned a lesson and, you know, whereas life is not that organized. Mm. And so maybe it's like an attempt to kind of achieve a certain um, sense of peace that we don't get to achieve, you know, in our own lives on a regular basis. I don't know. Oh, I like that. There's something in that that's really resonant for me. Like, like story provides a balm to life in a way yeah. because it helps you. Whereas life doesn't always have happy endings and doesn't tie itself up neatly. Sometimes the story doesn't even end for years, right? <laughs> like exactly. a loop opens and it doesn't end for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, you or know, story or ending, right. If somebody yeah. passed away or, you know, yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So in your journey, um, you've, you've both been an author and you've written your own novels, but you've also, you know, written, um, you know, a bunch of these writing guides. What, what is communicating how to write? What itch does that scratch for you? That's a good question. I love analysis first of all i love Mm -hmm. to to figure out why something works or doesn't work and since the only thing i seem to be good at is writing (laughs) writing writing fiction is my industry for for lack of a better word um i'm fascinated by what makes stories work well and i went through a master's program in creative writing and and literature and we we wrote a lot and we read a lot of literature and we, we did lectures and stuff, but I still never felt like the program helped me assess deeply why stories were working or weren't. It was more like you get feedback from your group that does, that works, that doesn't, but why, you know, I never felt mm-hmm. like I understood mm-hmm. that. So, and I also have a very strong impulse to help other people understand things. I, I don't know why I, it's like, I would have become a psychologist if I wasn't a writer. I think I'm married to a psychologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like to, understand why things work. And I like to help other people understand why things work. I'm a little bit of like, again, for me, I think this is like how I understand the world is to analyze it. Mm. Anyways. So I, that's the itch it scratches. And in the process, I feel like I become a better writer by analyzing yeah. the craft. 
And so yeah. I get something out of it too. And I teach it. So, yeah. Yeah. What, one of the things I've, I've realized, I, I did an MFA as well. And um, one of the things I realized after two years of doing the podcast and, um, and 120 interviews at this point, right? So like the, being able to interview a huge swath of really great authors is and trying to unpack something, the amount you learn from the, from the, you said analysis, right? It's a good word from the analysis, the actual like deep digging into it is more, more impactful than, than really what happens, uh, you know, in, in most other parts of learning, it's like the, it's like the, the disassembly you learn so much and disassembling and put it back yes. together, but it's hard work. It, it, it's, it's harder to do that than I think it is. No offense to read it right. Or to read a craft book. It's actually harder to disassemble and then put it back. Um, which is interesting. It's, it's a, it's an interesting. Yeah. It, it is. And I think you have to have an affinity for it. Like I don't think right. just, most people don't want to do that because it isn't pleasurable. Just like, I don't want to be a, a research scientist like a data scientist but somebody finds that interesting you know yeah. So, yeah yeah so in your in your um kind of extensive writing education what what are some of the if you had to pick just like the three lessons that you feel like every writer at one point needs to hear in order to improve their craft like the things that you feel like you've gone back to over and over and over again and it has a huge impact what would those things be uh, the first thing would be learn to write in scenes. Okay. And scenes are, of course, the way we, we take, you know, flat, uninteresting narrative summary and we transform it into action and dialogue and, and a character moving through a setting, you know, because when we can see characters moving through space and time and demonstrating rather than just telling the reader something, we, the reader, feel like we're in the story. We're engaged. Mm. So if you mm. can learn to write in scenes, and that was my first craft book that I wrote was because I was editing for a, a living and I kept seeing the same problem cropping up over and over again. Like I'm bored reading this, this chapter. Why am I bored? What's, what's not happening here. And so I was able to isolate what was happening, what wasn't happening. And it was, Oh, people don't know how to write scenes. And I, I knew how to write them intuitively. I didn't even know the necessarily the names of things. I had to kind of study what was missing myself. And then I figured it out. Um, and, and what was, I mean, just, just, I mean, everybody obviously go, you know, a hundred percent pick this book up, but like, what was the thing that seems to be missing for a lot of writers in writing a scene before you move on? It's just learning how to, to put things into it. It's, it's, let me put it into simpler words. I always say you need to demonstrate to the reader what you're telling me. So let's say you want to say something like, you know, he woke up angry and knew today was the day he was going to finally confront his dad. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's fine. But you haven't showed me anger in his behavior mm. or feelings. I don't have any sense of what that feels like. You can cut all that stuff away about this is the day he's going to tell his dad and just show up, go have that, that actual confrontation in action. Right. So it's, it's like, we tell ourselves the story we want to tell the readers, but then a lot of writers don't get to that next level where they learn to actually put it into scene. Um, so that's, that's the main thing that's missing. I find um, the second thing is being willing to revise Mm. learning how to embrace revision and see that as actually part of the writing process, not this, like, you know, I don't know if it's has to do with social media. I'm sorry. I'm going to sound like an old person now. Um, I love social media, by the way. Uh, if it's social media, if it's the streaming entertainment, which is all so um, 
there's a kind of instant gratification quality to it. But a lot of younger writers I'm finding seem to think that like write a draft and you're done and are a little surprised that there's all this other work to do. Mm. And that's like learning to love that work is writing if you, you know, and I'll say more later, but for me, if you can treat, you know, sort of your whole writing life as a practice, rather than I wrote this draft, I'm done with the book. You're going to, you're going to have a more expansive view of your writing and you'll, you'll do more of the work that is necessary. So that would be the second one. And the third one is to learn how to be persistent as a writer in all those things, learn how to show up on the page, learn how to be willing to revise, learn how to take feedback in a way that's not defensive. Um, but, but there's a lot, there's stuff you have to do to make that happen. So that's kind of maybe something we can talk about later. Or, or yeah. Well, you, you, you brought up a word that I think is really important. And a lot of this show has been focused on unpacking, which is, it's not just about, I always use a love actually example of the guy who is some professional and then just decides to write a novel and goes sit by, goes and sits right. by a lake and just willfully, you know, writes these wonderful pages. Like, isn't that great? Like that, that's, that's, yeah. I think a lot of times the perception yes. of, um, you know, when, especially with new writers, right. Getting into it is that like, it should be easier that creativity should just yes. flow yeah. or be in abundance, but you used an important pra- uh, word in there, which is writing practice, important term. And I'm like, what does that mean to you? A writing practice? So I, I always start with the joke that like, if you're someone who does, has a yoga practice, you don't wake up every day and go, I got to get my 15 poses in, you know, yeah. um, you, you, yoga is a part of your life. You, it's an attitude as much as it is actually showing up on the mat. Right. So writing practice to me is the same thing. If, so first it starts with having, um, understanding why you do it, having meaning. So if you're not, if, if it's not creating meaning for you, then you're doing it rotely it's going to disappoint you. You're going to feel, you're going to be far more likely to be, you know, discouraged, give up, not put in the work. So mm-hmm. having a writing practice starts with knowing why you're doing it. And I always, when I do workshops, I put people through exercises to like connect with why the reasons why you write, what it brings to you, what it brings to others. And once you have that un- deep understanding, then you consider everything you do for your, for your writing practice, a part of it. That can be thinking about writing, that can mm-hmm. be reading, mm-hmm. that can be taking classes, that can be writing really raw first drafts, that can be seeking an agent, whatever you're doing. If you treat that as part of your writing practice, it's like, I guess it's like taking it seriously in a way. And since I don't like to re- apply the word job or work, because to me, I think once we think of things in those terms, we start to feel burdened. Mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. think of it as a writing practice, then you think of it as something you are looking forward to and willing to do every day, and that it doesn't just mean when you're writing. Yeah. So it's, it's it, that's why I say it's more expansive than that. So if you can approach your writing from that perspective, then it, it, for some reason it just it changes things for me. I, I think about you know like if I've sat down, this conversation we're having is part of my writing practice. Like I'm going to take something away from this because it's generative that I will use in whether it'll just come through in my writing or in my teaching, you know? Right. right. Yeah. I don't know if that answers. It's a little. Esoteric. No, totally. I, I think it's really important. And what, what I want to dig into is for a group of people who hear that and they think, well, that's cool for some people, you know, like good for you that, you know, that, that, you know, you have these huge buckets of time. My writing practice is this, is this 30 minutes or an hour Absolutely. before my kids wake up. Um, how, how, 
how would you address that frustration, right? That so many of us work and write and well, actually, have to balance it too. I think, I think if, if we start over, what I'm trying to say is, is exactly that. However much time you have to mm-hmm, make, whether mm-hmm. you write for 30 minutes or you're someone who has the luxury of sitting by a lake and writing for months, <laughs> you still have a writing practice. Yours yeah. may look different from someone else's. And, and if you think about, you know, get practical about it, many, especially many working mothers, and now there are a lot more fathers who work at home and stuff like that. Yeah. But back in the day, you know, wrote their novels in when their sh- children were napping or as you said, in that half hour before bed or after bedtime. So it's, I think it's the opposite when you don't think of it as a writing practice that you feel overwhelmed. Like, well, how am I ever going to work this in instead? you're like, Oh, I wrote 50 words today. Go me, you know? So that's the way I interpret writing practice is everything counts. I tell my students, did you think about writing this week? You wrote, you know, bingo, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. did something toward your writing practice. I love that. I I feel like it's so aligned with, um, kind of our ethos and, and it's, um, I always love not having any setup to a conversation with, you know, with somebody, we, you know, we've never said hello until 35 minutes ago, you know, and having such alignment on this, it, it's one of those things that as you're listening to it, I think you can take comfort in being like, there's, there's a big body of people who are sharing this similar type of belief about what it takes and what's important. And it's not necessarily your page output, but what I'm hearing, and, and, and I want to ask a question about this. What I'm hearing is it's almost like a possession. It's like, it's like taking on the identity of a writer. It's not just something you do. Mm-hmm. It's something you become. Mm-hmm. And I, and I want to throw it out at you. It's like, does that resonate? Yeah, I, th- I think it does. Although I'm, I want to be careful for people who are like, like, if you don't have the identity of writer, you're not a writer. Like, sure. I think that it's a way, for me, it's a way of looking at, so let me back up. You know, I've been writing, like I said, my whole life, and I've been pursuing publications since I was in my late teens and early 20s. I'm 40, I'm almost 48. So I've had a lot of experience of like, you know, ambition and grinding it out and trying to really like get famous, get known. (laughs) I did all that with very little success. (laughs) And it really, all of my success, you know, whatever you want to call that, like books published, career established didn't really start to arrive for me until I stopped. I actually had kind of my own dark writerly night of the soul. I, an agent didn't sell my novel. It had a baby, the economy crashed. Like I thought I'm done. I'm not a writer anymore. And I had to really go deep into myself. And what actually brought me back out was I happened to pick up Rilke's, you know, letters to a young uh, poet, which, you know, cliche in a way, But he has that line about, you know, ask yourself, go down to the deepest depths of yourself and ask, must I write? And I was like, you know what? Damn it. Yeah. (laughs) Damn it. Mm. I must write. But it doesn't have to look like a a six figure book deal. I write in my journal every day and that's good enough. You know, so um, I actually forgot the origin origin of this question. (laughs) I'm just rambling now. But the point is that uh, I arrived at a place of meaning, you know, I'm I'm this is something I do because it matters to me less than it's an identity. It's, it's something that matters and brings something to my life. Yeah. And so I think that's where from that place, I feel like my whole creative world opened wider instead yeah. of contracting around. I need an agent. I need, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it sounds to me 
like from the outside hearing this for the first time, like re like you refocused or focused maybe on the things you can control. And, and this is what, this is one of those things. A lot of writers get really frustrated about, like you cannot control if your mother likes your book, you can't control if you get an agent, you can't control if you hit a bestseller list. And paradoxically, the more you try and control the things you can't control, the further those things get, um, they occupy more negative space. And I don't get it. I'm not trying to say I have a theory of why that is, but time has proven that to be 100%. universally correct. You know, it's so true. And so, yeah, as writers, I- what what can we control then? Right. Right. Is that a question or are you just? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, for you, it would sound like you can control. You love what you work on. You can you, control your perspective, yes. your emotions. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a wonderful book I love called Art and Fear by um, Ted Orland and David Bales. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not specifically about writing, although they do touch on writing. And it also really moved me because they talk a lot about, you know, it's like we can't control, like you said, external forces. We can't control, you know, people's attitudes and opinions about our writing or who will accept us gatekeeping wise. We can control like writing the best book we've ever written. We can mm-hmm. control learning how the system works like how to write a query letter and when is the right time to, to, to reach for an agent we can control. Um, for, uh, yeah. Like you said, showing up on the page and, and writing for me though, if there is not joy and pleasure, some kind of joy and pleasure in the process, I'm not saying all of it is joyful and pleasurable, mm-hmm. but if I'm not coming to the process with some kind of excitement, curiosity, joy, I'm, what is the point? Like, yeah, right. I might as well go get a job in an office somewhere. I mean, right. I have a job too, but you know what I mean? It's like, so that's really what it comes down to for me. Um, what can we control? And, and attitude is tough. Cause right. Sometimes if you're having a hard time going through a hard time in your life, you also can't even control that. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's like, I even get more narrow. If I wake up and I said I was going to write today and I don't feel like writing and I feel stuck, then I might go for a walk or I might, I still try to do something generative Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or that moves energy. Yeah. And oftentimes that brings me back to my writing. Yeah. Yeah. This is another thing. I mean, I'm so happy you brought that word up energy because that's, that's another word we've, you know, we've we've done some work on um, inside of a lot of our, our material, which is this idea that, that we are energetic beings. You, you both, um, you need to um, absorb energy, bring in energy, and you spend it as well. Yeah. And burnout happens when you are spending more, yes. so much that you literally run out, and the time it takes to regenerate that energy is substantial. I just went through this. So, so the past like three or four months, I actually took a break from the podcast. I wasn't recording. Um, you know, COVID came hard at our family. You know, took took our mother in law like just moved like all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. And I was trying to write in that process. And every day I went to write, I got the words in, but it costs so much. And I don't know if you felt that maybe somebody out there is feeling that as well. You know, I'm like carving something away that shouldn't be carved. Yeah. You're like, I I lost some flesh in this process. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I woke up one morning and walked my dog and I was like, wow, I have nothing. And I have nothing left. I have no emotional uh, core left. I have no feeling, um, like I am just existing without experiencing. And, and that's a tough spot as, as a human to be much less a writer 
to be, right? Because we communicate our experiences. Um, and so that idea of bringing energy back in, that's one of those messages I feel like we, we can say over and over and over again to, to writers, like find the way to, to nourish yourself and love on yourself, cup of tea, a walk outside, a good conversation, good music, good book. I mean, yes. a big ass bowl of ice cream, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like do the things that, that add energy back into your life as oh, yeah. often as you can. That's such a good point. It's so, yeah. it's so important. And yeah. one of the things I did in the pandemic, cause I, I had the same kind of experience. It hit hard mm-hmm. and then um, my creative juices just went dormant. You know, I felt like we were living in that like high amygdala state of being, you know, mm-hmm. present Yeah, yep. and I don't write well in that state. And then I realized, well, since I'm not able to kind of produce a lot, why don't I take some classes of my own? Mm. Because I have not prioritized my own writing learning in a long time after graduate school, right? So I went, and beautifully, because of the pandemic, there was a lot online, and I started taking classes. I took a novel workshop, and it totally worked. And Mm. I, it like, all of a sudden, that dead feeling started to slough away, and I felt excited again about my writing for the first time in a while. And so it was a good reminder that sometimes, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, what your audience, where they're at in their process, maybe they've had, they've taken too many classes and they need right. to now stop, go on writing retreat and, and write, or they need to do something else. But um, for me, it was like, I'm, I've been in the outputting phase for a long time. I've positioned myself as a teacher and now I need to go back to beginner's mind and bring something into me. Cause that's probably what, what's missing, you know? Yeah. So it was really rewarding. I, I, I'm still taking classes. I love it. Yeah. 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 I, I so fully agree with that. It's, it's, it's as interesting as even, um, you know, your mindless media, for example, like for me, I, I listen to YouTube videos and podcasts and part of what I do is as a writing educator, but, but behind that, um, there's a business, right? I mean, like, like this is, this is, uh, I love doing the work, but it's also a way to support my family. And so, I've studied business a lot and I, and I even, even realize that if I had listened to too many business podcasts or too many business books or YouTube or audible that, that within a week or so the writing starts to feel a little less alive. Mm. And if I just replace just that media, just that with just a podcast that can never be me. Cause I never can listen to podcast after I publish one, but you know, a podcast about writing from someone else that I love, or just yeah. even listening to a good book on yes. an Audible and YouTube or whatever, even that replenishes the energy. And I feel a, a mark, mark a difference at the page within just a couple of days. And so that's, again, that's another one of those things that it's like these inputs count and there's nothing wrong with choosing the input. It can be any input you want. It's just bringing the awareness that there's a choice to be made there. And, and if you're feeling a little bit dead on your writing, maybe just amping up the type of stuff you're consuming could really have a big impact courses, classes, whatever else it might yeah. be. Yeah. And, and sometimes if you have writing friends, I find like brainstorming conversations or just mm-hmm. conversations like this are really wonderful too. You know, I, I do some writing coaching though. I hate that term. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I do too. And, <laughs> and I feel like, I always just want a new word for things. It's the writer, no. right? 
I know it's, it's such right? a, it's, it has such it's a negative connotation. I mean, we, we do it as well. It like, listen, we, we have a coaching program as well. And it's like, every time I use the word coach, I'm always like, but not like that. It's yeah. not like that though. Like it's, 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 it's like, I don't know, but you, yeah. you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Hang on. We were talking about you writing friends and when you're doing writing. Oh, coaching. oh, how, what they, well, a lot of my, you know, coaching clients will say is like, I can't, I'm amazed how much one conversation about my yeah. writing just like completely, you know, set me back on the path. And I'm like, it's just, we get stuck in our heads. We get stuck in our rooms. Writing is often something it's, it can be isolating. Sometimes it's great and we love our own company, but there's those times where it's like, I'm stuck. I, I can't make this, I can't make energy out of nothing. So mm-hmm. talking to people who are like-minded often just yeah. works yeah. for me. I went through a coaching program and one of the things they said, which was really true, uh, because, you know, as a coach, a lot of people think coaching is a coach telling you what to do because they just have, they're so smart or whatever, but good, good coaches are actually really good question askers and they help you as the, the, uh, coachee come up with and find your own answer. They're just, they're just helping you dance around it, right. Through, through good question asking, but they used to say all the time that like, the average person is so pent up and they're so lonely that if they went and just talked to a light post for an hour, they'd feel better. <laughs> and that and they would be like, you don't have, you're not that smart. Like you are not <laughs> as smart as you think you are. You don't need to be smart. That's just, great. Even if somebody just talked for an hour at you, that's doing a lot of work for them. Yeah. And they could do that to a light post or a tree. So, so yeah, if you're super stressed out and you need to talk, just go, go talk to a tree tonight. <laughs> to <laughs> I have 20 plants in my office. And let me tell you, I talked yeah. to them <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, just, just voice your concerns to a tree and nature will speak back maybe. Yeah. Anyways. So we're at the point of the show now, this always happens, which is I look at the time and I'm like, holy guacamoles. Um, <laughs> our time together has already wow. uh, uh, gone by. Yeah. This is, this is part of the fun about doing this show is um, the flow state you get into in these conversations yeah. with another person is so special. It's something that I will forever I'll die grateful uh, for the time I get to spend with with guests like yourself. So all I have to say, I ask the exact same questions to everybody at the end of the show. And and I do this, um, it's the first time listening to the show. I do this because the very first reason I like the answers and it's my show, so I could do whatever I want. The second reason is so much of what we're doing here is trying to inspire and empower writers to find their way to put words on the page. I, I'm a firm believer. Uh, we talked about writing process. So I'm a firm believer that when as a writer, you learn how to consistently put words on the page, the entire writing life opens up. And yeah. before that point, you're, you're sitting with a lot of frustration. But once you get the first steps there, um, you can do anything. You can write anything you want. And so I'm, I'm a big advocate of finding fun ways to show that there's not one way to do it. And you as a writer, your first job is to figure out how to do this above learning to plot or build a character, your first your first job is to learn your writing process. So I ask these questions because I hope they spark some interest. They spark some fun. So here they are. Question number one, uh, which is this. What do you view is your role as a storyteller? I'm going to tell you this in two parts because I think it started out differently and then evolved as I got older. So as a child, I think, I think that I believed that I, so I grew up in a family full of complex secrets. And Mm. so I liked to tell stories that, um, unraveled people's secrets. Like I was very fascinated. All my stories, my early stories were about, you know, 
families with secrets. And as an adult, what I realize is I am just here to share non-judgmentally about how hard it is to be human and how mm. beautiful it can be to be human, mm. that it's not simple. So I believe that the more we shine light on the difficulty of being human, that we, we sort of find more beauty in it. That's a rough answer, but. Oh, I love that though. I, I, it, it's such a, um, yeah, that's a really beautiful answer. Um, thank you. Okay. Question number two, uh, what is the one word that best describes you? The only thing I could come up with was expressive. Expressive. Okay. Yeah. I, that, that might be the first time I've, I've had that word is expressive. I like that. I'm an extrovert. I like to write. I like to talk. Mm, okay. Wow. An extroverted writer. You're, you're, you, you must be in some rare, rare sliver here. I'm an ambivert. I'm an ambivert, which is like, I'm an extrovert up to a point and then I'm basically an introvert. So got it. Okay. (laughs) I would love, I mean, like I should do a happy writer study with like everyone that listens to the podcast and all of our audience. I should do, I should do like an analysis of like what percent of writers are introverts or extroverts. My gut tells me introverts are like 80%. I mean, like it's gotta be up there. Uh, But it's interesting because I am, I feel like I need to, I'm here to defend the extroverts. You know, people treat extroverts like they're not contemplative. They're not quiet. They're not all of these things. And I, I, okay. I sound not humble now, but I can be all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I just need a little more human contact than the average. Yeah. Well, and, and you would imagine that like an extrovert is, is, I would imagine incredibly socially aware, which would be really useful in writing, True. you know, being able to lean on, on having, um, you know, a desire to, you know, get energy from others and social interactions and feeling fulfilled from that. Like you might have a, a pretty big, well, I don't know. True. I'm Maybe. super introverted. So I'm like, just grasping yeah. against well, here. <laughs> unsurprisingly, I'm married to an introvert, of course. So, yeah. But he's yeah. a psychologist, which makes me laugh because he spends his day talking to people. <laughs> right. But it's one on one, you know. Anyways. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, third question If you had to pick a spirit book, okay. So, this is a book that if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, this is the book you would pick. Uh, what book would it be? So the book that came to mind was The Mists of Avalon from Marion Zimmer Bradley, which is a retelling of Arthurian legend through the female protagonists. And it's very feminist. I read it. I read it when I was 10. My mother had to come to school with me to prove I actually read it because it's like a thousand pages. It's an adult adult novel. Uh, And then I read it again 10 years later and 10 years later again. Um, I I just want to caveat for listeners who know that that Marion Zimmer Bradley has since been outed as having done some pretty horrible things so it's not the author that i condone it's just that that book really opened uh, yeah it was just a powerful experience mm-hmm. as a reader that's a whole nother topic that yeah. we can get into which is separating the author from the work um yeah. whole other show probably uh, an entire different show. podcast and not even a not even an individual episode like an entire podcast show yeah, just series. devoted to the one topic yeah series devoted to one yeah. topic yeah okay next question is there a specific tool can be anything at all pencil software chair coffee tea anything at all that you absolutely must have to write if i'm writing by hand which is often i absolutely must have a fluid beautifully moving gel pen it has mm. to have that certain feeling if it's like if i'm writing and it's stiff doesn't work for me do you have a pen preference no, um, I like, what's this brand here? Uh, 
I don't even know. I can't read. Some kind of, I get them at Staples. This says Energel. <laughs> Energel. <laughs> I don't okay. have a brand, but I know what it feels like when I write with it. Yep. Okay. Love it. Um, fifth question. How do you deal with the ups and downs of the writing life? Well, going back to our conversation about writing practice, mm-hmm. I treat it all mm-hmm. like a writing practice, which means I have good days and bad days, but I'm always, I'm always a writer and I'm always working toward my writing, even if I don't have pen in hand or keyboard under fingers. So for me, remembering why I do it, what I love mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my end goals keeps me going when I'm not hearing back from agents or, you know, did, got a rejection, et cetera, or having writer's block. I love it. I love it. That's another one we could do in a whole second episode on just the writing writing practice. Um, okay, last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? Well, I'm just going to be redundant now. <laughs> yeah, right. Make a practice of your writing, but within that, be persistent. That means mm-hmm. do what, find what it takes so that you are willing to keep showing up in all the ways that matter for yourself, to the page. Um, don't let people's, you know, crappy feedback or somebody's bad day ruin your ability to write or tell you mm-hmm. that you're a bad writer because it takes time and commitment and love and showing up over and over again. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, where can people find you online? Where's your favorite hangouts and haunts? I'm old school. Come to my website, jordanrosenfeld.net. You can find me on Instagram, jrose30, and Twitter. But actually, I don't do a lot of interacting on Twitter. I do do interact on Instagram, though. Instagram's the place. Okay. And we will, um, when we publish this, we will, we will link in our Instagram and Twitter. We'll, we'll link to you. So for those of you who follow happy writer on, um, Instagram and Twitter, you'll see those go out. You can find Jordan right away and follow her as well. Um, Jordan, thank you so much. I, I feel like, uh, like I'm warmed up now. Yeah. And I feel like I could, you know. I know. I was like, wait, it's over. <laughs> like we get a cup of coffee and just just do a deep dive. It's funny. I've I've played around and thought about doing like long form podcasts, like like yeah. two or three hour on one topic, right? And just going to the bottom of a topic, something like going to the bottom of in two or three hours of writing oh, practice. Yeah. And um, I'm still playing around the idea. It sounds really intense, but also really fulfilling and fun. Yeah, it does. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have to keep me posted. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to have to, uh, coordinate on that. I so appreciate talking to you. I appreciate your spirit and your openness. And, um, I appreciate your perspective on writing, I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. And I, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time and inviting me. Thank you. Thank you again to Jordan for her time. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Also, be sure to check me out on Twitter. I am the underscore Murfinator. Lastly, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the show, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.